crazy wild card weekend it was. Cherry coming down the main stage. We've got apple bottom jeans coming up. Oh, sorry. Had a little DJ in there going on. As we had the wild card round, and it was exactly that. It was wild. Hello, everybody. Terry Bennett, insert Noe here. Out drink the coverage brought to you by Frisco Bar and Grill. Among others, we'll be talking about that here in a little bit. But first and foremost, insert Noe. How are you doing and what are you drinking? I'm doing pretty good, Terry. I am drinking Russell Reserve. It's the it's 10 years old. Uh, kind of vanilla notes on the nose and the palate. And it is 45% alcohol. And it has a little bit of a spice to it, but I think it's more of some of the rye mix that's in the bourbon. And it's from the Wild Turkey Distillery. How about okay. you, buddy? How, how are you doing, and what are you drinking? Well, it's the day after Cowboy Victory. I just, again, you always are like, I'm drinking this. It has scents of vanilla and hints of wood. And I'm like, I'm drinking Jim Bean. I got meth <laughs> in the corner. Now, just uh, something uh, Grant leaves left for uh, on our sideline to sideline shows. Uh, and so that is what I am drinking. Uh, all right. So before we get into it all, what, what are just your first impressions after we're recording this on Tuesday after the wild card round? What are your first impressions? Shocked in general. As we talked about last week, I thought this was going to be blowouts. Every single game except for the Jaguars and Charger game. But it ended up being close games except for the 49er and Cowboy game. So it definitely shocked. that If I could sum it up in one word, that's what it would be. How about you? You know, I, I wasn't – and it's funny. I, I actually had told you I, – I can't remember if it was – like Saturday night or uh, whatever. I said, I kind of feel like the Bengals might be upset. I, I got to admit, I'll pat myself on the back. I almost nailed the Cowboy score yesterday morning. And I had to, you know, I'd said this on the show, and I had even told you all through last week. I, I didn't, I wasn't really worried about the, the Cowboy game. I really thought Cowboys were a better team, and I thought they were going to play like it. Uh, the Miami Buffalo shocked me. And of course, the Chargers, Jags, I, I did don't know if the results shocked us as much as how we got there. I think that, of course, is the big shocking thing uh, of how the, the Jaguars beat the Chargers when the Chargers, you know, I, I knew no matter what for a Cowboy fan, the week was going to be okay because no matter what happened last night, there was no way they were topping the Jaguars, or I should say the Chargers collapsing to lose that game. Yeah, ended up being the third biggest comeback by the by any team in postseason history. Uh, Twenty-seven to zero, the Chargers were up going late into the first half, and uh, you know Jacksonville. We'll talk about that later. But Jacksonville came back. They won thirty-one thirty. Uh, you know Buffalo when they beat Houston thirty years ago. Yeah, that was thirty-two point game. And that was a shocking they, one. That was that was, and also fun fact that was my first. NFL game that I actually watched. Yeah, yeah we'll so be talking like, oh, about man, that in the offseason. Yeah, um, for sure. Now, uh, the Indianapolis. Number two was the Colts and Chiefs. That one wasn't shocking. That was a game that the Chiefs just raced out really quick. We kind of have talked that many times about the Texans when they jumped out over the Chiefs a couple years ago in the playoffs. Uh, it, it happened so quick and it happened so early. It was just like, ah, yeah, the Chiefs are going to come back. The Colts against the Chiefs, I think that was 2013. Uh, it was the same thing. Like, you just kind of 
you just kind of felt like, okay, the Chiefs just everything broke right for like 10 minutes and, and you, you give them credit. They, they capitalized, but it didn't feel like they capitalized enough. I remember watching that game in general, the, the Houston bills one, that one just came out of nowhere. That was a slow build comeback. It wasn't frantic. It wasn't like done in five minutes. It took the, almost the whole second half. And you never really knew if they were going to actually complete it until they actually completed it. Yeah, I think the Jaguars game kind of mirrored that Colt Chief game from 2013 in the sense that, well, in this case, the Chargers were up too early. Kind of like with Houston and Kansas City in the 2019 playoffs. Yeah. Where Houston was up 24-0. They just got up too early. Uh, but, yeah, the Buffalo-Houston game was a shocker just because Frank Reich was the quarterback for Buffalo in that in that time period. Now, Frank Reich had a big comeback in the 80s when he was playing college, if I'm not mistaken. It's Maryland, Maryland against Miami. Oh, it was it him versus Boomer Esiason? Uh, no, I mean, I Frank Wright was Maryland. Oh, never mind. For some reason, I thought, oh, they were at the yeah. same college. Never mind. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was Frank Wright versus Miami. It was like a, it was thirty-five to seven or something like that, mm-hmm. and and he come back and win. Speaking of though, uh, talking about being part of things, and you can talk about Doug Peterson as a head coach, however you want. I think he's now proven where he stay, where he is right now in the current you know pantheon of coaches that are currently coaches. He's a top three five coach, but he's also already been in his short playoff time as a head coach part of now a third what you would you could literally it, it's you know it's so funny the nhl throwback channel just the other day and i kept meaning the link you had this thing called they basically showed all the what they called the named games like the the immaculate reception the comeback yeah. things like that well doug peterson has now been part of the philly special play call the mm-hmm. double doink off the goalpost. Uh, for yeah. uh, Chicago versus Philadelphia, and now the comeback part two. So you can say what you want about the man, and, and, and I and I still think, oddly enough, I think he was fired way too quick for Philly. Uh, but the guy knows how to win the crazy games in the playoffs. Yeah, he does. I mean, in a short time, he's won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia. Speaking of which, he's going to play another Philadelphia coach, Andy Reid, this weekend. Uh, oh yeah, and good then point. Yeah, he's, he took a Jaguars team that was not that good last year, but they had some parts and won a division title. Albeit a weak division, they still came up in the playoffs against the Chargers. Uh, he, he has done a lot, and I think they should have. I think the Eagles franchise probably should have thrown thrown away 2020 as a lost season, yeah, just because it was 2020. But I guess they felt they were. I, I, I think it has something to do with Carson Wentz, to be honest with you. Uh, I really, just, it's funny because Frank Reich basically, you could say, ended up getting fired for the Colts partly because of Carson Wentz. Uh, that that <laughs> Carson Wentz's career will one day be looked to look back on because you, you, you all you, we always have these short time players, but I don't know if there's many players that literally has basically been had an MVP taken away from him simply because of an injury. The team that he led won the Super Bowl, and for whatever reason, that he never bounced back from that. I, I think for whatever reason, that Nick Foles winning that Super Bowl, something happened to Carson Wentz in that. I, I don't know if it was confidence of, oh, everything I did up to this point, you know, I don't know if he thought maybe, oh, that 
it didn't maybe it wasn't me but whatever reason that guy started so white hot i can remember you and i talking about this and this was in between when we had this show but i i, I don't know what it, i think it was a sunday night and we were like man it's gonna be carson wentz versus Dak prescott for the next 15 years and, and i remember nbc they were talking about it that game like you've got two young quarterbacks you've got two young teams uh and you look at them both now and one of them has the same quarterback both of them are in the division round yet both of them are wildly different from where they were in 2016 2017 and 2018 yeah i mean both were drafted in the 2016 draft carson wentz was i think number two overall pick Goff was one that 2017 season like you said i don't think there was a better player in football than him until, until that injury against the rams as he was scoring a touchdown you know, the next year they made the playoffs. They were nine and seven, but he got injured again. And Nick Foles led them to that Chicago victory that you mentioned, double the double doink game. And they almost beat the Saints in the next round. So I, I don't know if it was he lost the locker room or the those Eagle players started aging out. Because a lot of their big stars from 2017, they were in their late 20s, early 30s. It was like the prime year for them to. And, and they aged out quick. None of them, like, Nelson Aguilar just all of a sudden stopped being a really good wide receiver, like almost overnight. Uh, the defense outside of, of Fletcher Cox, that defensive line just literally went from 2016 being scary, and you think, oh, crud, this is their defense for the next four or five years, to two years later, you know, being a paper tiger. And saying all that, here the Eagles are. Uh, in the divisional round. They didn't play this past week, uh, but let's go ahead and get into it. Let's start talking the wild card. But before we do that, let's thank our title sponsor, Frisco Bar and Grill. You can find them online at thefriscobar.com. But more importantly, speaking of, uh, my girlfriend is actually there tonight at the Frisco Bar and Grill. Uh, they where, she, where it is is at 6750 Gaylord Parkway, Suite 120. Uh, that's right by where she works, and a, a couple of people uh, came in from out of town from their out other locations, and so that's where she's taking them tonight over at the Frisco Bar and Grill. Great drinks, great karaoke if you're into that thing. They got great football, uh, the Oklahoma College Football Club and the San Francisco 49ers watching club. Both are, that's their home base. You and I have been there when the Niners are playing. Whether you're a Niner fan or not, it is really awesome. It's awesome to be in any team-based bar when their team is playing, uh, but at Frisco Bar and Grill, it's it's just really cool. Oh, man, I, like I said, every time we reference Frisco Bar and Grill, I had a great time. The, I've only been there two or three times, but I've had I had a blast every time. Karaoke was fun. Uh, just the app, I think I've only had appetizers there. I, I'm trying to remember if I had an actual entree. I, I might have taken a bite out of, uh, like, maybe pizza or something. But uh, the food is amazing, reasonably priced. Uh, it's, like, a few miles from where I live, so I'm, it makes me happy, too, so. Yeah, the food is amazing. Uh, I, I've had a sandwich, but but I'm more of a I'm more of an app person in bars anyway. Uh, I like to kind of pick at my food. I don't like to eat like really big heavy, especially if we're going to be drinking and stuff. Uh, but the apps are absolutely amazing, and I had a sandwich there, and it's really good as well. Also, want to thank uh, Grandeur Pet Solutions. You can find them online at grandeurforsure.com. Give them a call four six nine eight zero nine. 
one, six, two, three. They started back in 2013. They specialize in insects, termites, bed bugs, and rodents. They service almost all of DFW area. Uh, almost all their jobs are completed within 24 hours. You don't have to schedule them now and wait two or three months. They're going to be there. It's a local company. One of the guys graduated from Kimball, the other one from South Oak Cliff. Uh, by the way, back-to-back -back state champs off the clip. And then Mattress Depot, we want to thank them as well. 11 locations across the DFW area. Rockwall, Irving, Mesquite, Cedar Hill, Gainesville, Decatur, Wichita Falls, White Settlement, Mineral Wells, Stephenville, and Granbury. Uh, they are locally owned by a family. They they love the local uh, fans so much and the customers that they have discounts for teachers. They have discounts for military. They have discounts for first responders. You can also find them on Facebook. Just type in Mattress Depot. All right, so let's go ahead and let's get into it. Uh, here we go. Now, all right, so if you didn't see on, you know, if you're just now catching the show and you didn't see the post earlier, we're not talking divisional today. We're actually going to do a second show for the rest of the playoffs where the first show we'll, we'll talk the week past, like we're going to talk the wild card this week or this episode. And then Friday, you and I are going to record and we're going to record and talk the divisional matchups and give our predictions and such. Now, normally we would go in order of the games. Uh, I guess we can do that. Yeah, I guess so. Let's go ahead and start that way. Let's okay. go to – let's start Niners and Seahawks. I think this is one of the few games that everything went exactly like we thought it would. We talked about it last week. Uh, Seattle's only hope – and I really think any team against San Francisco's defense, only hope is block up the, 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 the pass rush and you can hit them deep. That is the one weakness San Francisco has. They, they have a really good secondary. They're, they're just like Dallas, though. They're, they're a very feast or famine secondary. They either get interceptions or they can give up big plays. And in this game, it was exactly that. They gave up some big plays, but eventually they started putting the clamps down. But at one point, it looked like DJ, uh, DK Metcalf was going to have like 200 yards receiving. Yeah, the, through three quarters, this was a one-score game. I think it was 23-17 going into the fourth. But the what ended up being the downfall for Seattle was Charles Omenihue's UT alum strip sack on Geno Smith, and that kind of opened up the floodgates. If you just, I mean, I don't know if you watched the game or not, the whole game, but it, after that, it was very deflating for the Seahawks. You could see it on the sideline. You could see in the defense's performance. I think they felt they played lights out up until that point. And then after that sack, that strip sack, Elijah Mitchell got the touchdown, then Debo with the game ender to make it 38-17 with a 74-yard catch and run. Uh, it was just, it, it was close. And, per, you know, the thing is, Purdy was still good early on, even though they were trailing for a bit. Uh, but if you look at his stat line, man, he had four total TDs, th over 300 yards passing. You know, it, it's only Russell Wilson had more passing yards as a rookie in a playoff game. And he had 385 against the Falcons in the 2012 postseason. Nobody wants to talk about this. This is this weird thing where we, 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 you and I joke about when you're a Cowboy fan, but everybody always talks about, oh, Dallas will just have these games or these these moments in games where they just kind of vanish. San Francisco does as well. They jumped out 10 nothing and looked like they were just going to walk away with this game. And then Seattle gets back into it with a 17-point second quarter, and, and San Francisco has that, and I think all teams do, 
But San Francisco has that tendency where they can sometimes play with their food and it can get them in trouble, especially again, as we talk about, if you can get that, if you can get that ferocious pass rush blocked up and give your quarterback time and give your wide receivers time to get down the field, uh, look at what the Raiders did. Raiders scored 34 points on them. Uh, and, and this was a Raider team that by all accounts was, you know, should have been not just playing out the string, but, the, the, San Francisco's issues, and this is why when we talk about it next week, why I keep saying, or next or this Friday, I keep telling people that Dallas matches up better with San Francisco than people think this year. I do think last year was a worse matchup. I don't think, I think Dallas, I don't know if they've closed the gap, but I think what they do physically and schematically offensively, I think that they can score more on the Niners this year than they did last year. Yeah, I think that's mainly because Dak is distributing the ball more, mainly because he has to. They're, they have It's kind of like what Kansas City did when they traded Tyreek Hill. They decided, okay, we're going to use everybody equally. Yeah, so now Patrick Mahomes still threw over 5,000 yards this season, but he was distributing out to Schuster Smith, to MVS, to Pacheco, Clyde Edwards. Yeah. Oh, and of course he has Travis Kelsey, who's getting better with age. Uh, it, the Dallas was basically trying to do the same thing, and you, you're. And we'll talk about the wild card game on Monday night, where Dalton Schultz, in the last few weeks, has been showing up a lot lately. And uh, you know, Pollard kind of came on toward the end of the game. CD really didn't was really wasn't a factor until as until later as the game kept going. And that's a good uh, thing. And that's a good thing because it, I mean, hey. We could talk about the Cowboy game, but the the main thing was Dak didn't have any turnovers. Yeah, and the the pass rush was there. Sorry. I think that same pass rush is everything good. No, no, I was gonna say sorry for I, I knowing that kind of got us back already back onto the Cowboys. I didn't mean to do that. Well, I was, um, I was gonna say this is in relation to I was gonna bring this back to the 49ers, where like with any other quarterback, a, a good pass rush negates any good offensive performance. And I think the Cowboys kind of found it on Monday night against yeah. the Buccaneers. And that, that should be the one way you can attack the 49ers. They have a strong offensive line. All pro Trent Williams and left tackle will be hard. I'm not sure what the Cowboys scheme will be, but from what I can tell, the best way to attack the 49ers is just to get to Purdy. Uh, he is unflappable for someone that I was not impressed with coming out of Iowa State. He just looks fantastic. I mean, credit to Kyle Shanahan. I mean, he's a 43-year-old genius. He's just a young, smart coach. He kind of figured out how to get the 49ers in the, the right mold, especially in the 2022 season where the theme of this year has been injuries. He just seems to be able to just put another guy in the lineup. I mean, this year, they, they started in the beginning of the year, but that uh, Talanoa Hufanga – was an all-pro safety. I had no idea who he was going into this year. He's just safeties in football now. So it's, they have one of the deepest rosters, and they're healthy finally. And that's so the big they're thing. Gonna be really dangerous. Yeah, they're very dangerous. They're very healthy. Uh, they're going to be a tough out for anybody. And yeah, Seattle I, gave it their best they could. They had a great season. Uh, they have another great draft going into the next season. They're going to be formidable. 
So, See, I'm not so yeah. sure about that. You, you and I are talking off the air. I, I, I still, the Seahawks still feel like a team that's kind of trying to teeter in between being competitive and rebuilding on the fly. Um, a, I, I still think the Rams next year, if they're completely healthy, I, I don't think the Rams are that far off from being back where they were. I, I think a lot of things went really well for this. And that's what happens when you make the t playoffs. Things have to go well for you. Uh, and so I think this was a great season. I think this might be one of Pete Carroll's best seasons as a Seattle Seahawk head coach. But I also think if they don't draft completely right or if they don't make some roster moves that might not be popular because it might be players that played well, but you have to go, okay, is this really a guy that's going to be here for the next four or five years? I, I, I still think Seattle's slowly on the way to a rebuild. Maybe, maybe not. I kind of lean toward they're going to contend next year for the simple fact that most of their best players this year were rookies. Running back Kenneth Walker had a but yeah again yards. that's that's somebody well, 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 well okay one more thing though think about it like offensive line they kind of they, they got a pretty good offensive lineman and cross on the defensive side though this is what I'm really most impressed with they found Tariq Woolen late yes in the draft but then also you know a lot of people have been talking about Sauce Gardner as the best cornerback of this year rookie from Cincinnati there's another Cincinnati quarterback cornerback that no one's talking about and that's that Kelby Bryant who's been very good for the Seahawks he's been overshadowed by Wilden but I'm telling you Snyder had an excellent draft they have building blocks I think they're going to contend for 2023 so that's all I had to say on the Seahawks and a great season they're still missing pieces but the, the, the two people I was talking about particularly DK Matt Metcalf and Tyler Lockett I, I, yeah. I think Seattle especially Metcalf, I think they need to have that discussion of, I and mean, he's still young enough. Yeah. Is this your guy or do we trade him right now when he's probably at his highest peak capital wise and maybe get a first and a second or three twos and a third or something for him? I, I think those are the tough discussions I'm talking about. Kenneth Walker, I like, but dude, the, the, the NFL is paved with rookie running backs that have great seasons that we never really hear from again. And, and I'm not saying he won't be that, but I, I, it's, he came out of nowhere, and 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 I could easily see him being a consistent 1,200 yard guy. But I could also easily see him once the league has kind of watched him and figured things out, uh, uh, kind of figuring him out. But but the the big talk for me are people like Metcalf and and Lockett not as much because Lockett's getting up there at age. Lockett might be kind of landlocked to Seattle no matter what. But but Metcalf, I, I think that's something they have to have a talk about. Do do we? Because you know there was talk about that last year. Do we move on from him? Do we draft somebody different, or do we do we you know tether our rope to him for the next five to ten years? Yeah, I mean that'll be a discussion. He's only twenty five. He kind of had a bounce back year from 2021. That's really not his fault. There was a lot of injuries, especially at the quarterback position. If you can get two or three solid players for trading Metcalf, that it's worth it. But I mean, he's a stud receiver. He's big and posing. You got to get it to him consistently to get the actual benefits, which that was kind of a problem this year. Yeah. But when Seattle was focusing on getting the ball to DK, they were very competitive. And like in this game, for most of the game, they were very competitive because of uh, him. Because of him, it was just that one one strip sack that that kind of just turned the tide and changed the game completely.
Yeah, I totally agree. All right, let's move on now. I, I want to save the Chargers and Jaguars for one of the last ones. Okay. Uh, so let, let's go ahead and go over. Let's stay in the NFC. Uh, Giants, Vikings. I don't understand why everybody is so shocked about this. Uh, first off, these two teams played a really close game in the regular season. Uh, the Vikings needed a 61-yard field goal to win it. Uh, and, and the scoring in the game almost played out to the exact same this time. I mean, literally, it was like watching the same game. Uh, I I felt like Kirk Cousins validated my comments about him at the beginning of the year when I said Vikings were going to make the playoffs, Vikings were going to be better than what people thought. But then Kirk Cousins did the most Kirk Cousins of things in this game on fourth and eight to decide the game. He checks down about seven, no, not wasn't that, for about five yards short. And it, and it wasn't like he checked down to Justin Jefferson. It wasn't like he checked down to Hawkelson or checked down to even Adam Thielen or Dalvin Cook. He he checked down to I don't it wasn't was it Osborne? I can't remember if it was Osborne or not. But he checked down at the worst time. And if there was a player who has a play that defines his career, that right there is the play that defines who Kirk Cousins is. A really good quarterback, but never seems to. It just never feels like he ever puts it out all there, make the throw or not, thread the needle. It's always going to be safe, and that's not necessarily bad, but unless you have certain teams built around you, you can only go so far. I'll be this way. If he was the quarterback of the 49ers, he could win a Super Bowl. In fact, I think he would be perfect for the Niners with what they want a quarterback to do. But for a team like the Vikings, especially the way they're built right now, they've got to have a quarterback that's willing to on fourth and eight to threat. I don't know how you don't go to Jefferson on fourth and eight. I don't care how many people. He proved that in the Buffalo game. Get the ball to your playmaker when the game is on the line. Period. End of discussion. Well, that was a lot. Uh, I, I just <laughs> I hate that in football. I hate that in all sports. Football is the most – it would be like the Dallas Mavericks with 25 seconds left in the NBA game seven of the finals and literally not passing to Luka, not letting the offense run through Luka. That's what that, that's what the what Kirk Cousins did on fourth and eight by not making – I don't care. If I was the OC, I'd have been like, just throw to Jefferson. I don't care where he's at. I don't care how many people's on him. That's the guy. That's our guy. I will say this about Minnesota. You know, good kudos to Kevin O'Connell on a successful first season. He took a team that couldn't win the close games, and then the, this year they went 11-1 and one in close games. That one loss came in the playoff game, unfortunately, but yeah, hey, he did this with basically the same roster. Uh, for 2023, they just need to get their defense from being next to last in the league to average 16th, 17th. That's the, really, to me, that's their biggest issue. Yes, I get it. Cousins, uh, fourth and eight, probably should have thrown it to Jefferson or, or past eight yards. Oh, he checked yeah. down to Hawkinson. Uh, was it Hawkinson? It was Hawkinson, yeah. Oh, I but thought yeah, it was. Cousins, I didn't think. Cousins is a guy that's he, – he is who he is. He's been this way since his Washington days. He's a guy that's going to get you about 4,000 yards, about 20 touchdowns, a little over 10 interceptions, maybe 30 touchdowns for the year. He'll He'll get you competitive on offense. You do need to surround us around a lot of. I mean, hey, he to me, he's, he's a better Garoppolo. Much oh, like Garoppolo, I, I think Cousins is better than Garoppolo. But don't blame Cousins for this loss. I, I would not do that. They, hey, the Giants, 
This is their first playoff win since the Super Bowl against the Patriots, the second one. Daniel Jones, I mean, what an unbelievable game. That that Viking defense should not have let Daniel Jones get 300 yards passing and 78 yards rushing. He was just a force to be reckoned with. It was it was a great performance by him. I have no idea who Isaiah Hodgins is, but Minnesota let him get eight catches for over 100 100 yards. I almost said 100 bucks, 100 yards and the touchdown. So hey, Hodgins uh, has come on. Hodgins has come on as their guy over the last five or six games. I think he's led them now in six straight games receiving in yards. And not all those were pretty yards. There, there's been some ugly games in there. But, yeah, yeah. he's he's kind of stepped up. Uh, and, and, and I know this sounds crazy because stat-wise he didn't have uh, the best uh, the, the best one. I don't even know if he had a catch. Uh, but a guy that's really kind of helped solidify their locker room, and this is just listening for it, is of all people, Kenny Galladay. Uh, you know, he was the one kind of griping earlier in the year about he didn't get the ball. But but Hodgins and Slayton were talking about that. Like, he's been a real big help, uh, like when they were looking at, at some of the things Minnesota does and things. But I, I agree with you. I, look, Cousins, Cousins is now firmly in that Romo area where a lot of times he carries the team and nobody sees that until they lose. But in saying that, I, I'll stand by – if there was ever a play that encapsulates a player more than that, please show me that literally was the Kirk Cousins that everybody gripes about. Fourth and eight, and you check it down. Yeah, I mean, you go back to last year, those close losses they had, he was the reason why they were even in that game. Exactly. That's the argument. That's the exact argument you and I have for Tony Romo. Yep. You know, yeah, Tony Romo drug six and 10 and five and 11 teams to eight and eight. And all, all the fans care about was, well, he lost that last game that kept him out of the playoffs. Now that's where the where it finally just kind of collapsed on him. That, that Philadelphia loss being the most collapsed on it was so bad he collapsed in the shower because of his back. Uh, and the, the, the one of the early memes of memes was it showed it was him. It showed a, a, a post picture of him in a shower with the whole team on his back. And it's like, yeah, you could see why he got hurt. But yeah, and Kirk Cousins, he's just got to he's got to he's got to win one of these games. To, you know, and he's got to win one of those fourth and eights where he throws it 12 yards to Jefferson in stride. And that because it felt like that if they just make that catch, they're going to they're going to they're going to win or they're going to at least get it into overtime. It, it felt like we were headed to overtime. Hey, Cousins is one of the top half of the quarterbacks in football, but he's he's not Patrick Mahomes. But Patrick Mahomes at least has a mediocre to semi decent defense supporting him. So why 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 would I just don't get the hate for Cousins? I mean, maybe his personal beliefs and stuff may be something that he might have uh, issues yeah, with. I, I don't care about that. I just care about his performance. I think he's a good quarterback. I just look at the defense. I'm like, they're getting old. They need to get younger. Then they tried to do that a couple of years ago under Mike Zimmer, and it hasn't been panning out so far. So it's almost like they're going to have to just redraft a bunch of. Defensive rookies. No, yeah, no, that, no, this year is a decent class, but yeah, the, they need to shore up that defense somehow because being the 31st ranked defense and then allowing over 25 points a game, is, it's not going to get you a championship in today's NFL. I, I'm going to use this. I, I was going to do this right before we started, but I want to use this to explain why this weekend was like this weekend is uh, where you had the Ravens hold the, 
you know, the Ravens, you can make the case, should have beat the Bengals. The Dolphins, you can make the case, should have beat the Bills. You can also make the case that the Bengals and the Bills both should have blow those, blown those games out where it was where the game started. Uh, same thing again with Chargers and, and uh, uh, Jaguars. We have finally seen the league where everybody, and, and I've saw, talked about this in regular season, the the eight and nine Bucks and the nine and eight Jaguars are just a player or two away from being 12 and five and 13 and four. And, and so when, when you start playing these games where one or two plays changes everything, you start to see that there's not a lot of difference. Like watching that game between the Bills and the Dolphins, if that game is played exactly how it, it played out and two is the quarterback, I, I think the Dolphins win. Watching the Ravens and the Bengals, if Lamar Jackson's 100% healthy, if that game plays out the same way, I think the Ravens win. So it shows you that as a league, we're getting all the teams are getting closer and closer, but it also shows you at the end of the day, quarterbacks and good quarterback play when it matters is still what rules what rules the game, especially in the playoffs. I agree with you about the Ravens because they actually did outplay the Bengals, yardage, moving the ball. Well, I mean, the Bengals have a banked up offensive line, so I can understand. Even though that's the case, Burrow has excelled with a pretty terrible offensive line. Yeah. The one that shocks me is Buffalo and Miami. And if you look at the stats, if you look at what happened, yeah, you can see why it was a close game. It should not have been a close game, but Miami was getting turnovers left and right. It was just a bad Josh Allen game. They end up still winning because the team in general is just awesome. So, uh, yeah, but I, I still think if Tua plays that game and the game's played the way it is, I, I think the Dolphins might have ended up winning oh, comfortably. If it's played exactly the way it is. I mean, Buffalo won 34-31. to 31, and They barely won that game. Miami had seven sacks on Josh Allen. Uh, they had three turnovers, and then they had that great uh, punt return by Cedric Wilson. All that right there got them 21 points without Skylar Thompson being involved. So yeah, Miami Thompson, number thirty. Yeah, I mean Thompson, Miami did barely had two hundred thirty yards, and they yeah. still almost won. So yeah, if Tua was playing, they would have probably beat Buffalo. Yeah, let, let, let's go ahead and you know everybody wants to talk about Dak and turnovers and stuff. And again, we're, we're Cowboy fans, so we this is probably in all the Buffalo groups. But Josh Allen can be a turnover machine at times. That that's the good and the bad you take with how he plays. It, it's kind of funny because. That was also how everybody – and somebody's going to point out, well, he only had 14 interceptions. Now, it's not that he throws a lot of interceptions across the season. It's that he just has these games where he throws a couple or three interceptions. And, and, and you want to talk about streaks and all, he's now thrown at least two interceptions in two of the last three games. He's thrown an interception in the last, in, in the last three games. His issue is, is it comes in bunches – and that kind of stuff, you know, there was that stretch earlier in the season when they went one and two against Green Bay, the Jets, and Minnesota. That was the infamous miracle game for the, the Vikings where he threw two, two, and two interceptions. So, he, you know, he's one of those that when he throws an interception, it always seems like another one's coming. And, and, and now in saying that, he could also, if they were to go to the Super Bowl, he could also easily play the next three games and have ten touchdowns and no interceptions. Yeah, and also included in this game, uh, Josh Allen had three fumbles, one of which he lost. Yes. So he, if, I don't know what it is. I've, I've seen good Josh, like against like last year in the divisional round against the Chiefs. 
Uh, he looked like the best player on the field. He looked like the best player in football. Yeah. That's why this year I thought he was going to win the MVP. It was going to be him or Justin Herbert. It'll probably be Patrick Mahomes. But uh, having said that, you know, he's still one of the best players in football. He just needs to f- – I think he just gave more comfortable. That's what it seems. At least he likes to get more comfortable. So he's taking a little bit more risk here and there. It might end up being good for the Bills in the long run, but right now it could probably cost them a game against a, a healthier team. Well, and I, I still feel like – I don't know. It, it still feels like this AFC's is Kansas City's to lose. And I know people are pointing out, well, the Buffalo and, and Cincinnati both have – it just – I don't know. It, it, it I don't know if anybody beats Kansas City right now. Kansas City just kind of feels at that level. I mean, you've got a guy like uh, McKinnon who barely touches the ball yet has like this seven straight in touchdown game streak going. Pacheco comes out of nowhere. Kadarius Tony has four touches, two ca- or two no yeah four cut two catches, two rushes has a touchdown. Literally anybody on their roster that's a skill position player can and possibly will score at any given moment. That diversity. You, you literally cannot defend unless you're going to get a a, a a monstrous pass rush on Mahomes. But hell, Mahomes, and oddly enough, a lot of people don't like to give Dak credit for this. Dak and Mahomes finish are like one and two in quarterback efficiency when being blitzed. So it's like okay, so then you want to go okay, well then we'll we'll play a shell on Mahomes and make him throw underneath. Well, that's the one thing he's finally been comfortable with this year if he has to go 90 yards down the field every drive he'll he'll dink and dunk you to death and so with somebody like Allen, now again if he plays perfect he's just as good but i just don't know i don't know if he can i i think that the, that, that Allen sometimes tries to do a little too much and maybe that's what he has to rein in and again we're talking about a guy who's what in his third year now fourth year as he reigns that in, he'll mature into a, to another level. I just think maybe people were a little fast in assuming he was at that level now. Yeah, I think he's in year five now. 2018 was no, his first year. Yeah. Uh, hey, I'm okay with him taking chances. Uh, I, I think being too careful and too cautious sets a ceiling, a, a limit, a bar yes. for your team. So uh, to me, even without Von Miller – Greg Rousseau, Milano, and company on defense are going to still like like they did in the regular season. They gave the Chiefs all kinds of fits in the regular season, and they beat them in Kansas City, like they did last year. And then they had the close loss in the divisional round last season. Yeah, Buffalo knows how to play the Chiefs, and it's going to be a neutral side game in Atlanta. Assuming Buffalo beats Cincinnati next week, that's the whole. And then Kansas City beats the Jaguars. There will be a neutral site AFC title game for the first time. Uh, I, I I still think the Bills can beat the Chiefs in the long run. Uh, I just I am impressed with the Chiefs what they can do now. Hey, the biggest bonus for the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes is he has the best line overall in football. He has multiple Pro Bowler and All Pros from left tackle to right tackle. Yeah. And now, because of Tyreek Hill leaving, he was forced to distribute the ball. And now you have this new star and Pacheco at running back. You got Clyde Edwards Hilaire coming back for the divisional round. Forgot he was even on the roster. I mean, that's how, yeah. they have, how they've been able to handle and absorb his injury. You, yeah. you just forget, oh, yeah, crap, he's on this team as well. And he's really, really good when he's healthy. 
Uh, hey, glad you brought up Kadarius Tony because he – I don't know why the Giants got rid of him. They needed – the Giants need a playmaker like that at wide receiver to really complement that entire offense. But, do, do, I mean, you know, Kadarius Tony, I think, was having attitude issues with the Giants. But what, watching this week in the playoffs – and seeing where the Giants are, Kadarius Tony, if he was right in mind and healthy, adds a completely different weapon. But I also go back to: Do you think the Lions wish they could have pulled, take back the Hawkinson trade? Because boy, and and saying that in their last game against Green Bay, they had two tight ends score touchdowns. But there was a, you know, there was that stretch, including like when Dallas played them, where they couldn't they couldn't score a drop, and they had already traded him. You, you, that, that's one of those trades that you kind of wonder if the Lions were like, man, kind of wish we wouldn't have done it. And I still don't understand why they traded him inside the division. But, yeah, t Tony just adds to, to whatever, just adds to what the Chiefs have. And, and I think the most important thing is, at least out, on look outside looking in, it's a locker room of a lot of weapons that all understand and are, are at least content with their role because they know they might not get a ton of chances, but every chance they get is going to put them in the best position possible. Well, uh, I mean, the Lions wanted to get two to three good players for Hawkinson. I, I can respect that. I mean, he's, he's a great player, one of the top five tight ends in all of football. But the Lions got a 2023 second and a 2024 third. Those are going to be future starters, assuming they draft well. And I mean, it is the Lions. We'll see. It is the Lions. But, hey, they had a 9-8 and eight season. They started 1-6. and six. Their only losses down the stretch was a close Thanksgiving loss to Buffalo. And well, a really terrible game against the Panthers, but this is a team that probably is going to look to contend for the division title in 2023. We have no idea what's going to happen with the Packers, and the Bears are still two year, two to three years away. So, it, and Minnesota could just be aging out on defense and just bottoming out next year. I have no idea. This this is 2023 is a prime year for the Lions if things fall the right way. You keep saying the Vikings age now on defense, but I think all the guys that they tried to draft two years ago, I think all of them are basically still starting. I think that's probably the issue. Uh, but I, I, I think the Vikings actually have the, the problem of they're too young to age out where the Vikings can be like, okay, go, get, leave. They're all still on rookie contracts. And when yeah. you're paying Kirk Cousins and when you're paying Dalvin Cook and when you're paying Justin Jefferson and when you're going to pay Hawkinson now – you kind of have to hope maybe it's bring in a different defensive coordinator and see if that works. And it might work. I mean, when when they drafted their players, they were it was considered a pretty good draft for the Vikings. I remember them getting pretty high marks on the defensive guys that they were picking. So maybe it's just they haven't fit in well, or maybe it's a coordinator issue. And the, hey, I was praising that too. I thought it was a great idea for long term for the Vikings, but. And when every play, all I see is Patrick Peterson and Kendricks around the ball, then I think there's a problem. Yeah. Maybe I'm not seeing the whole picture, but I just only see those two veterans making plays. No, I agree with you on that. I think that is the problem. Speaking of coordinators, the Chargers are already starting to uh, put people and blame them. I don't understand how how it can be your offensive coordinator. But let's go ahead and move over to the Chargers versus the Jaguars. One of the most exciting, if not maybe most exciting wild card round in the last 20 years off the top of my head. Chargers, and you and I were joking in the middle of the first half, this was supposed to be the good game of the weekend. It turned into the best game of the weekend. It also turned into, I, I still think that this, 
I think this is a bigger collapse than what Houston did against Buffalo. Look at what the pedigree of Buffalo was at that time. And you go, okay, amazing comeback. But they, they were, this was a team already been to the Super Bowl two times in a row. This was a team that, that knew how to win, blah, blah, blah. This Jaguar comeback, I, I didn't see coming. I, I did not in any way feel at 27 to nothing that the Jaguars were even close to being in the game or, oh, they just need a couple of plays. It felt like it was finally the Chargers court. It felt like they were going to be the hot team into the division round and people were going to be talking about, hey, this is a, a possible Super Bowl team. And then the second half happened. What, can, what do you make of what happened? Tell it two halves. They got overconfident. For some reason, they still the, the Chargers didn't feel like running the ball. I have no idea why. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, four interceptions in the first half, uh, and then he had you know made one touchdown, and then he had the three or more touchdowns in the second half. Uh, just watching the game, uh, I think it's the same issue that happened in the Houston Kansas City game three four seasons ago, where they just got up too early and then just got relaxed they they didn't really try to uh pad to the lead they just I they weren't even trying to just run kill clock this is a, the shocking team i don't know why what they were thinking the jaguars have proven during this stretch remember the cowboy game when they were down 17 yeah they don't care if they have turnovers during the game Thanks. trevor lawrence is just gonna trevor Lo- hello yeah i'm here i'm sorry there's an ad running on I was the way okay oh okay I was like, Trevor Lawrence, he's learned how to be unflappable in these situations. Now, he's caused some of these situations like he did on Saturday night, but he, he knows how to just forget. And that's the best lesson. That's the best tool or talent a quarterback can have, just the ability to forget your bad play. And, boy, he forgot, and he was almost perfect in the second half. And the Chargers, again – Brandon Staley's been under fire the last two seasons for bonehead decisions. Uh, getting firing their offensive coordinator just seems like they just okay. We want a scapegoat. We want Staley back next year. They technically have improved from 2021 to 2022 by making the playoffs, and they won one more game. Uh, I just don't. I, I feel they're going to have the same issue regardless of what offensive coordinator they might hire. Might be Frank Wright. I'm not sure who the new offensive coordinator is going to be. I still feel that that's not going to help their in-game decision-making, which they always had a problem with. Uh, Mike Williams being injured in a meaningless game against the Broncos to close out the season. I mean, that's probably the worst of it all. I just don't understand why he even played. And, of course, he's so injury-prone, and then he got injured. Uh, If if you have a talented running back like Austin Eckler – why not use them more? Uh, I, I, I just don't get it. I don't know what's going on with this team. Uh, and then uh, Boza getting mad during the yeah. game, it justifiably so, I think, one instance. But, I mean, you know you're going to cost your team 15 yards if you throw, you know, blow your gasket during the game, which he did like an idiot. Uh, well, I have nothing more to say. The charges, I don't, I don't, I don't know what they should do going into next season, other than just get healthy and get a better head coach, which they're not going to do because they got their scapegoat fired. Well, and and I do think Staley deserves another year. One of the biggest issues is he, he makes. Well, my my 
light, my paper that covers my bright light went down. One of the things is a lot of the, 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 the things that happen, you can't like, it's not like he's making these, at least this year, it's not like he's making these like completely bungled calls that are obvious, just like the second half. You know, it's not like the Chargers all of a sudden started turning the ball over or, you know, there was these third and twos that they just kept making dumb decisions on. And I disagree with you about that, the feel of the game. I remember when when the Texans jumped out on the Chiefs, I remember you and I messaging, and I kept saying in the moment, yeah, this ain't going to last. Like, this is the, – the, the Texans are winning, but they're not beating the Chiefs. The, the, the Chargers were beating the Jaguars. They did run the ball in the first half. They were methodically doing whatever they wanted against the Jaguars' defense. The Jaguars' offense was just continually spitting the bit and giving the ball to the Chargers. So I I, I, I never saw this coming. Um, I think the question now becomes, though, is everybody keeps talking about Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert, and stat-wise, this game looks perfectly fine. I mean, he didn't complete his – you know, his completion percentage was average – but you have to ask if this is supposed to be the young hot shot that can make the throws. I guess it's like the Kirk Cousins thing. Where was he in the second half when they just needed to make a couple first down throws? Where was he? Why did he vanish? And, you know, this has kind of become a trend for him and the Chargers. Last year he played well against the Raiders, but they still didn't win in that final game. This year he plays okay against the Jaguars, but when they needed him to make a, have a couple of drives where you and I are real big saying this when the Cowboys are up, five-minute drives, that's all you need. When you're up multiple scores in the second half, you don't always have to score, but you've got to keep the ball for minutes, 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 minutes. And, and they just weren't doing that against Jacksonville in that second half. Okay, part yeah, I agree, but another part is my question of why does Justin Herbert have 43 passing attempts when the Chargers were up the entire game by multiple scores? To me, oh, it's more valid. of a balance. Yeah, to me, more of a, it's a more of a balancing act between but they're the averaging, passing and rushing. They were averaging 2.9 yards a carry on 23 attempts, so it wasn't like it was only five or six. So, to be fair, they were trying to establish the run. And in that second half, they were giving the ball to Eckler and they were giving it to Joshua Kelly and they were getting mad at the line and, and, and not getting yards. So I can kind of understand. I get the idea of run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, but, it, but you've got to have some success to keep running the ball. And 2.9 yards isn't a lot of success. Maybe Fair. it's the offensive line they need to work on. They had, well, Slater was out. The, yeah. uh, the backup who actually performed well, he also got hurt. Uh, if, if they're going to pass, though, I mean, they got Keenan Allen and Everett. They led the way with six receptions each. If if I were the Chargers, I'm not sure why they didn't target Austin Eckler more. They only targeted him four times. But he's a pass-catching running back. And he, he should have been if, – if they're going to – if they had this lead they wanted it to stick, they should probably should have got him up to 10 to 12 targets. Yeah, he had 107 receptions this year. He, yeah, he would, he, he, yeah. I mean, why why does he only have this in this game? And they're up 27 to zero. And Herbert has 43 passing attempts. The stuff yeah. like that doesn't make sense to me. No, I agree with that. All right. Let's close it out. Cowboys, Buccaneers. Uh, first off, I'm going to say this. I do not like a Monday night playoff game. It has nothing to do with the schedule of this week. I, it's just, as a Cowboy fan, it, it just sucked having to sit through the whole weekend 
and finally get that game on Monday night. I get the idea. You're spreading it out. I would rather just play them on Saturday and Sunday in the playoffs. I didn't like it. Uh, but in saying all that, the Cowboys and the Blue Tops, once again, reign supreme. Uh, they they take old man Brady down. Uh, people might go, well, why are you, you know, you're on your last 10 minutes of the show? Why did you want? To be honest with you, there, there's not really a lot to talk about. Uh, the Cowboys went out and just basically did, when the Cowboys are playing well, what they're able to do, and that's dismantle a, a Buccaneer team that offensively all year long struggled, but you've got to give Dak credit because he was playing against the same Tampa Bay defense that through the last like seven games of the year had been like, I think the number two or number three defense in the league, the number one in turnovers that had like 11 turnovers in five games, which is the exact same amount that Dak had had. Uh, and yet I, I think honestly, we can say this is Prescott's best game ever. I think this was his best NFL game. Yeah, he had five total touchdowns, over 300 yards passing. The biggest stat to me that was the most important was zero turnovers. He had been – we had joked about it. He had interceptions at the close of every first half for a while there. Mm -hmm. uh, it, and I got nervous first. on that that touchdown drive. Yeah, Honestly, I'm not going to lie. When he rolled out on the score to Dalton, when he rolled out, he kind of planted that foot and threw back to the middle. I went, uh-oh. Like, oh, no. Yeah. And give Dalton Schultz credit because Dalton Schultz did what sometimes his receivers don't do enough for him. He went up and caught the ball and shielded the defender. But, yeah, that, that, that end of the first half interception. And the other weird thing is I, I was reading a weird stat. Over the last 15 years, 42% of interceptions that Dallas Cowboy quarterbacks have thrown have been returned for touchdowns. That's a weird, odd stat that now it, that encompasses multiple quarterbacks, multiple coaches, multiple players. It, it's just a weird thing, but that just seems that whenever we, you know, we, I'm saying we as, as the grouping of Cowboy fans, throw an interception, it always seems to be a pick six. Well, that kind of reminds me of Houston about 10 years ago when Matt Schaub was just throwing pick sixes every week for like five or six weeks in a row. They ended up being 2-14 that year. They had a top-10 defense. It's just these turnovers kept them from winning any game. Uh, but, yeah, it, it was just it's just weird that Dak is doing that. To me, my, my, my theory has been the same has been all year. I, I just think he's – I don't think he trusts many of the other options he has at receiver, and he kind of forces it, and that's what's causing these interceptions. or And or miscommunication on the routes by his uh, receivers. It, it, hey, but this game, it all came together. He was perfect. Offensive line held up. I, I really like. I really, you know, the one thing my only nitpick outside of Maher's four missed extra points was them not running the ball to the right as much. You had Zach Martin and Tyron Smith, your two future Hall of Famers, on the right side for once. Yeah, and they kept running it to the left because just because that's what they would typically do. And. Uh, I, I just uh, – I feel outside of that, it was a perfect game overall. The, the defense only got two sacks. There were two crucial sacks toward the end of the game, but they were in Brady's grill all game Michael long. Parsons' first game – first play of the game, a tackle for loss, literally set the tone. Yeah. And, and it's why you and I keep telling people sacks are nice, but pass rush is more important. And they they had Tom Brady throwing early so much all game where I can't count how many times 
you saw the receiver just barely in out of his break and the ball's being thrown because Tom Brady did not want to get hit. You don't have to win. You don't have to get sacks to, to have your pass rush dominate the game. Pass rush dominated 100% for Dallas. Yeah, now they introduced the pass rush win rate. Win rate, yeah. Uh, Chris Jones is like – I think he led the league in that by about – Parsons 20. was number two. Yeah. Uh, it, I guess with that uh, – the only way I thought the Cowboys were going to win this game was with the pass rush that was kind of absent the prior few weeks. Yeah. Uh, but with Tampa's offensive line injury issues, I, I figured it might come back, but I still wasn't sure. I'm still shocked that you were almost close at predicting the score of this game. The score, the final score of this game was 31 to 14, and you said it would be 28 to 9, which it almost was that score. Yeah. Throughout most of this game. So, hey, yeah. congratulations on that. And I'll tell you right, I'll tell you right now, unless something changes and and maybe this is just me just being, I don't know, jaded or whatever. I still have the same feeling I do in that game as I coming into this game. Now that might change as the week goes along, Uh, but let's go ahead and kind of talk about it. Uh, The extra point issue. I know everybody's like, Oh, you got to change kickers. I I want you, everybody to remember. It's not like Dallas can come out on this week and pick kickers off of other rosters. There's only a certain amount of kickers in the free agent pool that you're going to get. So I have no problem with them running them out and trying them out. But the idea that you're going to re you're going to cut Mar and bring somebody else in, in the division round and expect consistency all around. I I just don't think that's going to happen. Now in saying that, if you feel that he's, he's, you know, Chuck Knobloch now, and he just won't be able to make a, a field goal. The moment's too big. Okay, you make the decision. I don't think that that's it. I think that la- I think the best thing that happened for Dallas was that last trash touchdown that didn't really mean nothing and allowing him to drill that last one right down the middle. He didn't barely make it. He didn't fluke it in. It, was, it looked like a normal extra point. I think that I think people will be surprised at how much that might can do for his confidence. Because I do think the yips in the moment was kind of big for him there about miss number three. I want to hear what he has to say about what happened and his what was going on in his head. He might not talk about it. But, I mean, I, I the, the Cowboys are not going to release him. I, you, you can't just release someone after one bad game. Even Scott Norwood got another season with the Bills after missing that field goal in the Super Bowl. Uh he was 29 of 32 during the season on field goals. He was 50 of 53 on extra points. It was just one horrendously bad game. And you know what? Dallas still won. And he made an extra point to close out that game. So, And it wouldn't be a Dallas playoff game without something just odd and weird and an oddity and a kind of facepalm moment. That's kind of where the Cowboy playoff run has been since, you know, since it started back in 05 and, and the infamous Romo drop snap and then the yeah. 07 playoff game and then the 2014 no catch, the 26. I, why am I doing this to myself? I'll shut up now. So hey, I have a question I, for I, you. For, you. Hey, what did you think of Joe Buck's comment about the Cowboys? Oh, yeah. So, sorry. I told you to put that on. The, I'll close out with that. Um, so, he said this was a breakthrough win for the Cowboys. No, it's not. <laughs> the, the first round has been done since 2007. Uh, you, if the Cowboys win this week, they've broke through. I like everything that Dallas does. And if Dallas loses to San Francisco, 
I still feel really good about this team going forward. Two straight 12-win seasons, two straight playoff win, two two straight playoff trips, a first road win. That's three things right there that hadn't been done since at least 05 and 06, in 95 and in 93. Um, so I still think there's a ton going positive. I think we finally might have that consistency that we've always wanted as a Cowboy fan over the last 15 years instead of this every other year thing. But this win wasn't a breakthrough. You beat a team you were supposed to. Yes, it's on the road, but at the end of the day, Dallas is a better team than Tampa. They won it the way Dallas has won all their games this year. Started out slow, figured it out, grinded them down. The breakthrough doesn't happen until this week. And from McCarthy haters, he's been the probably the most successful Cowboys coach in the last 30 years. So from oh yeah, be, for better or worse, I mean – we got to, he'll be a cowboy coach in 2023. And let's get this straight now. This whole Sean Payton thing, it, it makes no sense if you're going to replace Mike McCarthy with Sean Payton. It's the same guy. Literally the same history. Literally the same records. The same amount of Super Bowls. They both had Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Neither one of them has won a Super Bowl without a Hall of Fame quarterback. I, I get that Sean Payton had kind of become the wonderkin for a long time, but I, I, I so think that that has worn off. I, I still think he's a good coach, don't get me wrong, but but this idea that Sean Payton comes in and just completely changes what Dallas does, I, I think is foolish. Well, yeah, yes and no. Uh, he is an offensive genius. He's had a lot of success. He had a lot of success. I mean, he was with a Hall of Fame quarterback, so was Mike McCarthy. He won with two different versions of the Saints. The first few years with the Saints, it was more offensive based, and the the last the 2017 to present has been more defensive based. How many Super Bowls did they go to then? Uh, the the current version zero. The the former version one. I mean, again, uh, they should. Well, they 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 should have been to another one. Well, yeah, but they didn't. I mean, we can yes, they should have. We say Jason Garrett should have went to an NFC title game. If yes, the Cat, I mean, you know, and to be fair. The Saints, the Saints' bad call was worse because, again, we have to remember, even if Dallas scores in that game, Aaron Rodgers had enough time to at least it's Aaron Rodgers. He's at home. But, again, I just – I'm not saying if Sean Payton were to come in, he wouldn't win, but there's this idea that Sean Payton has accomplished so much more than Mike McCarthy. I just disagree. I think they're literally the same guy. I, I think Sean Payton comes into whatever job he has, and I think it'll take a year, and I think you'll you'll start seeing the same. Okay, well, you haven't won in 15 years. Actually, longer than that. You haven't won a Super Bowl in 15 years. What do you bring to the table that other coaches don't? Yeah, part of me agrees with you. Uh, and well, you know, the more you say that, it reminds me of some of the success McCarthy had in turning around those Packer teams. Those Packers were actually not that good when he got them. He had some, you know, he had Brett Favre, but they were four and twelve and eight and eight mm-hmm. when he got them. He turned them into perennial contenders with Aaron Rodgers. The end, he was there for the transition between Favre and Rodgers. And it was but a seamless. lot of people just. All, it was seamless, but only people only think about those last two years with the Packers. When exactly. And, and Sean Payton was smart to to be out before the Saints completely folded and burned down. 
You know, I think yeah. if Peyton was there this last year and you sh- and they let's say they had the same kind of record, I then think you would start hearing the people kind of be like, okay, maybe it was having a Hall of Fame qu- quarterback that that helped you. And, and again, I still think you can make the case that the, the the Saints, and I'm not even counting the one that they should have went to, the Saints mm-hmm. left some Super Bowl runs on the table that they shouldn't have, like the Minnesota Miracle and things like that. Yeah, who knows what would happen in 2010 if it wasn't for the Beast Quake game? Good point. That that was yeah. not a Saints. That was a pure. That that would have been a bigger upset, or that was bigger upset than if the Buccaneers would have beat the Cowboys last night. That was. Yeah, yeah I mean that the, was a Saints team that was really good. Yeah, it was about the same win difference. I think the Seahawks were seven and nine. Yeah, and the Saints were eleven and five, but they were defending Super Bowl champions. Seattle had to win their final game to even win the division. So this was not a good Seattle team. They ended up becoming a great team for the next few years, but that team with Matt Hasselback and an unproven Marshawn Lynch was not. Oh, he had a thousand yards in Buffalo. He was, but he, but he wasn't known for what he's known for now. Isn't it crazy to think that in 2010, the Seahawks were had a reclamation project running back in Michelle, uh, in Lynch who had Buffalo for whatever reason just didn't like the fact. Oh, I think it was they didn't feel he was explosive enough, which just kind of becomes even funnier when you think about it. Right? But to be fair, when he was with Buffalo, he was more of a just a put your head down, go through the gap, get four or five yards, and 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 that's it. But yeah. it it is funny how one you know. One team sees a player, and then he goes to another, and you just put him in a different scheme. Little yeah. things like that, and that's why you and I always talk about you, you can't judge a player just by where he plays. A lot of it depends on what's around him and what that offense or defense does to make that player shine. 100% agree, man. All right, man. I think the wild card round show is done. Again, want to remind everybody that we will be doing a divisional round show uh, Friday. We might put that one live again. I'll see. We're trying to test out all of our new systems here on the new network. And by the way, that's one thing we love about this new network, the ability and the freedom to do multiple shows like this. Uh, We couldn't have done that at the other network. Uh, And we do appreciate L4 Media for this, allowing us to have two shows. So intern knowing I'll be back Friday. Uh, We'll we'll post the time if we're going to do it live, of course. But then – that's where we'll break down each divisional matchup, tell you who we think is going to win and why. Uh, I, I do feel this way. Uh, it, this feels like there should be some great matches, but I have a feeling we're going to have a couple blowouts in this one. Um, I, I just feel like that the, you know, there's a couple games that I think will end up ugly, but I do think we have two really great games. Until then, though, he's intern Noe. I'm Terry. This has been Outdrank the Coverage on the S2S Sports Network on the L4 Media Company.